that you boars and ghouls keep coming back for more. <laughs> You're loyal to the gore. Well, that's good. <laughs> Welcome to Now Playing's Creep Show Retrospective Series. You see that crap? All that horror crap? Things coming out of crates and eating people? Dead people coming back to life? People turning into weeds, for Christ's sake? Part of the now-playing Stephen King movie series. One more morbid masterpiece. Hosted by Arnie. Lots of people are going to rejoice when I'm dead. Stuart. That kid don't know if it's night or day when he gets going. Yeah, he's very dedicated. And Jacob. Oh my dad says he's a genius. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment of this series and keep coming back as we continue looking at all the movies based on the writings of Stephen King. Are you scared? Because you should be. And join Arnie at BooksAndNachos.com for in-depth reviews of all of Stephen King's books and short stories. I told you before, I didn't want you to read this crap. I never saw such rotten crap in my life. Where do you get this shit? Who sells it to you? These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Meteor shit! Listener discretion is advised. Are you afraid, Jerry? No. Well, then let's go. Today we're discussing Creepshow 3, featuring the acting stylings. <laughs> I refuse to use the word starring. Yeah, no one stars in this. Just skip it. No one even directed this thing. Come on, just skip to the intro. I got so excited when I recognized a credit someone was involved in. I'm like, oh, they were in a conga line in a J-Lo movie? Wow. <laughs> For the sake of consistency, Roy Abramson, Chris Allen, Magia Villa, A.J. Bowen, Elwood Carlisle, Ed Dyer, Bunny Gibson, Bo Kresic, Camille Lacey, Alina Madison, Emmett McGuire, Stephanie Peaty, directed by Anna Clavel, and James Duddleson. This is Arnie, and ha-ha, I'm back! Woo-hoo! Ha-ha-ha, that's right, boys, you, and you, and you! Woo, let's party! <laughs> I wish I had those party favors, Stuart in L.A. And this is the host that won't fuck with commodities, Jacob. Creepshow 3, a movie I didn't even know existed until we decided we were going to do Creepshow. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that they wanted to make it. I worked uh, L.A. film market. One of my first jobs when I came to L.A. was to work. Basically, I felt like a maintenance man, but I was running around a hotel where they were promoting all these movies that were made that they were trying to sell in the independent world or movies they were trying to raise funds to make. I saw this poster and it was so bad, I couldn't believe that this would actually be a movie that could be made or sold. Even like, the poster was bad? Oh, yeah. How do you mess up a poster? I mean, that's what sells a movie a lot of times. Well, I didn't believe that they had a movie in hand. I'm like, oh, yeah, good luck making that one. Creep Show 3. But lo and behold, yes, it, it actually did get made. And, yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> 20 years after Creep Show 2, New World is dead. And so I presume that this thing just kept being sold cheap, like some harlot who was 
lived into middle age somehow <laughs> and is now a diseased middle aged <laughs> I don't what how do you know anything about how total complete amateurs oh I'm sorry they did make Day of the Dead 2 Contagium I didn't even think that, that was a word <laughs> Contagium I remember when we did the Night of the Living Dead series with the remakes and I sat through all of those extra things. Can I tell you how my heart fell when I'm watching the single bonus feature for Creepshow 3? And there's the directors, and behind them, there are two posters. Day of the Dead 2 Contagium and Creepshow 3. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's bad company. <laughs> and I want to point out, this is not even the Day of the Dead remake that we covered in which the american pie girl ran around a military base <laughs> in colorado jacob we put this one on you i don't know if you repressed it or not i i have because i don't recall it at all <laughs> we're like we're gonna make the fans sit through that and i remember you just kind of spitting out bile every time you had to discuss one of those unfortunate yeah all the unofficial ones were were pretty awful because that sid Haig one was kind of all right jacob you might not have watched that one because i was a glutton for punishment there and i I split some of them with you, like the 3D yeah. one and a lot of those. I have repressed a lot of that stuff. It's the sequel, supposedly, to the original Romero that came out three years before that Mina Savari, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, no, I know. I remember watching some bad stuff <laughs> for, the, for extras, but I don't remember it at all. Well, you know, I tried to think about this. You know, what if I'm at a yard sale and it's, <laughs> hey, it's Val Kilmer's house. And he's going to sell the rights to me for $20 to Real Genius. <laughs> oh, you, how did we get Real Genius into this show? I'm like, Colin Arnie, do we do it? Do we buy Real Genius knowing we don't have the money to make it, knowing we don't have the connections to get anyone involved, but knowing that because we have the name, we can get someone to release it and people will tune in to the travesty that we cobble together. For an extra 20 bucks, you could probably get Val Kilmer back in it too. <laughs> You know what's really shocking for me, though, is this wasn't filmed in, like, Hungaria or somewhere like that. Transylvania. This was some back set, wasn't it? This was like, all filmed in California, yeah, so I'm guessing yeah. a back lot. Yeah, th there are two back lots used, like an alleyway and a suburban lot. That is it. It was done by Taurus Entertainment? Well, Taurus has some cred. They go all the way back to the 80s. They made Sleepaway Camp. They actually made a Romero movie. He made a collaboration with Dario Argento called Two Evil Eyes. It's kind of bad, but hey, that's legit in my mind. That is a real company that made a real movie. This. Come on, they got two directors. That's got to count for something. <laughs> One to hold the camera, maybe? One to point it? I, you know, how amateur does it get here? Really? Mangler 3 is what I'm thinking as I watch this. We're, we're back in that territory. So I can't wait to hear Arnie give the Tarantino defense. This is nowhere near as artistic as Mangler 3. <laughs> stop it. Would you just stop it with the it's shitty looking because they wanted it to defend that movie? Yeah, this is shitty because they had no idea. <laughs> yeah, two directors on the set. Apparently, they'd worked together before. One would edit and the other would direct, and they kept switching back and forth, and they finally decided, let's just direct together. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And there are, what, five people credited on the screenplay for all five stories that are interwoven here. None of those writers, I want to add, is Stephen King. Have any of those writers ever worked again? Because they interviewed one of the writers there. Nope. I mean, you know, I saw them doing, like, production duty. I mean, they had some IMDb credits to movies I've never heard of. But no, they don't have writing careers. No, the person who wrote The Haunted Dog which isn't actually about a canine, but a hot dog. (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) Scott Frizzell told during the making of Featurette, well, I was interning and they decided to let me write one of the stories. (laughs) Is that because you don't have to pay interns? (laughs) They got all the interns to write this. And they told me (laughs) that they wanted a story about a doctor with the worst bedside manner in the world who gave a homeless man a hot dog and he died and he haunted the doctor, and so I wrote the story, and it's my first screenplay credit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks for the ride, lady. I really appreciate it. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is disavowed. This is forgotten. I found out after the fact, this is a rare commodity. Mm. Kirk Cameron probably thinks this movie's amazing because he thinks when you have a 0% at Rotten Tomatoes, that means you have no Rotten Tomatoes and that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, nobody at all has ever given any kind of compliment to this movie is what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) It is without a supporter. If you like this movie, let us know, because you may be the only one. The audience score for it's 11%. So 11% of the people. Okay, there's 11% out there that are bad taste. Okay, all right. So it's not unprecedented if you like it. Still, I would go see a doctor. I would definitely get a checkup (laughs) if you walk out saying that was pretty good. Just so you know that 11% comes to 30 people have enjoyed this film. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still, I'm worried. I'm shocked that many people have seen it. (laughs) I'm shocked that I actually was able to get this on Blu-ray, but to get the Blu-ray with the bonus feature, I ordered it off Amazon. I was a little concerned when it came and was all in German. And I'm like, oh, German packaging. I put the disc in and it's like spritching. I'm like, oh, shit. That would be better. Honestly, if you couldn't understand the dialogue, you might imagine a better movie being told to you. Fortunately, I knew enough to change the language off Deutsch and onto English, and then I was okay, but yeah. I mean, seriously, the question is valid. Do we have any idea about how, after New World Pictures collapsed, that this wound up with these people being able to say, yeah, we get to make the sequel to George Romero and Stephen King's work? I mean, this is unprecedented. Again, it would be like you and I making Real Genius too. Realer geniuses. It is kind of like the Mangler or the Children of the Corn stuff. No, because that was crap to begin with. But this was a really fine homage that should never have fallen into these hands. I mean, it should have never gone into Creepshow 2 territory. To go sink even lower into this is shocking. I know. Yeah, I was complaining about them not having enough money last week. I mean, shit. Well, Taurus Entertainment did become the owner through God only knows acquisition, merger. It may legitimately be auctions. They do that with property rights at times. Mm. And they may have walked in thinking, I got a shiny $100 bill in my wallet. Let's see what I can get. 
with them owning the rights, they decided to put this out. Now, one of the stars here, the professor, is like, I've seen Creepshow, I've seen Creepshow 2, and no disrespect to Mr. Romero or Mr. King, but this is the best written of the series. <laughs> okay. As if I didn't hate this man enough. All right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he's, well, everyone's up there with King's acting level on this, but him especially. <laughs> Honestly, this should never have happened. This is a fan film that somehow got legitimized. And that's what's so frightening about it, was the fact that we have to cover this in a full podcast as if it were a real movie worthy of the Creepshow name. Don't put me in the position of defending this thing, but yet this was a professional film production. It was Mm. distributed by HBO. Mm. I mean, this thing... It's certainly more than some of the other stuff we've done for superheroes legitimate. No, see, I I would actually argue only Mangler 3, Mangler Reborn, feels less professional. Yeah. Unfortunately, digital video has changed the definition of the term professional. Now, you don't even need to pay for film anymore. Any yee-hoo with a rental budget can make a movie, but I'm saying because of Taurus Entertainment... Yeah, this was a professional gig, if not exceedingly low budget. Not just no no budget, no apparent knowledge of the original. It'd be like, yeah, we got real genius, Arnie, but I'll write it because I don't remember the movie. So let me do it. <laughs> it's really funny when during the interviews, like all the cast and crew are saying, yeah, I watched Creepshow. I really liked the big amoeba in the lake. Or, yeah, I watched Creepshow. Oh, Creep no. Show. They're referring to Creepshow, too? Yes. Mm. <laughs> I watched Creepshow. I love the wooden Indian story. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Admittedly, if that's your bar, it's much more manageable than the original. Yeah. This is a rough one, guys. So, Arnie, why don't you just get into this plot and we can live through Creepshow 3. There's five stories here, so kick back. Crack one. You You might need it tonight. Yeah, but, but first we got to get to the two wraparounds. Or one wraparound <laughs> and one intro? I don't even know. In the town of Creepyville, a series of <laughs> What? Sto- Is that really the name of this place? <laughs> yeah. Everything's called Creepy. The streets are like Creepy Lane. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the professor's wedding invitations, Creepyville. In the town of Creepyville, a series of stories play out, many overlapping and each with weird and strange endings. The first story, Alice, follows the titular teenaged brat when her neighbor, Professor Dayton, gives her father a universal remote control, Alice's life is what goes out of tune. When her dad, Police Detective Jacobs, changes the color setting on the remote, Alice's family is replaced by all (laughs) African-Americans. There might be a hint of some racism here, because then he hits subtitles, and the family changes to a Hispanic, Spanish-speaking family. They hit some more buttons, and Alice finds herself invisible and slowly mutating into a hideous melting blob. What button was that, by the way? I think Tune. (sighs) Finally, the professor arrives and tells her she has now become her true form, which then changes her into a rabbit that the professor keeps as a pet. And the rest of the Jacobs family seem to have no memory of ever having had a daughter named Alice. Honestly, listeners, I'm going to hate you if you just turn off the show now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, why do it? Why? (laughs) 
I had to write this plot summary. I hope at least one of you stays to listen. <laughs> Hell, we spent four and a half man hours watching the thing, and then I spent another hour on bonus features. Love yourself, people. Think more of yourself. <laughs> and less of us. <laughs> In the second segment, the radio, security guard Jerry buys a radio from a bum. It doesn't seem to work, but when Jerry goes to smash it, it goes all her and starts speaking in a female voice, giving Jerry instructions on how to improve his life, including cleaning the kitchen, eating a sandwich, and stealing $300,000 from a neighboring pimp. She's also giving a lot of financial planning advice, specifically (laughs) diversify and stay away from commodities. The radio has Jerry commit several murders to cover up his theft. Detective Jacobs from the first story investigates, but he's a horrible cop and Jerry looks like he's going to get away with it. But Jerry ignores the radio's advice and refuses to kill his friendly neighbor Hooker, instead running away with her. But the radio was right. The Hooker kills Jerry for the money, only to be killed herself by the pimp who has a radio of his own. See, the radio voice did diversify by having multiple people who she advises. The third story is Call Girl, about Rachel, a serial killing prostitute. But not a prostitute from the last segment. (laughs) Every woman in this is a prostitute, except for the melting girl that turned into a rabbit. Let's face it, this is as if it was done by Frank Miller. (laughs) But we'll talk about it, but Rachel was briefly in the radio segment. But Rachel's called to the house of a young man named Victor, and when he expects some kinky S&M sex, she instead repeatedly stabs and kills him. But what she doesn't know is Victor actually didn't own the house, but he's a vampire who killed the residing family. And so Victor comes back to life and kills Rachel. The fourth segment is The Professor's Wife, featuring Professor Dayton from the first segment. It's like Pulp Fiction, don't you see? (laughs) Oh, you went there! You're doing a Mangler 3 on this! (laughs) The prof has found himself a wife, and he has invited two of his favorite students, Charles and John, to meet her. But the two grad students think the woman is so pretty and acts a little weird, so they're convinced the professor has finally made a fully realistic android wife. They go to dismantle her to see how she works, but she was real. The professor had actually ordered a mail-order bride from Russia, and the two young men chopped her up and murdered her. They flee, leaving the professor to find his dismembered fiancée. Which leads us to the last segment, Haunted Dog. Dr. Farwell is a physician with perhaps the world's worst bedside manner. He has no empathy or sympathy. He ruthlessly hits on his attractive patients. He throws prescriptions at patients. He brings pills to illegal parties, hosted by Victor, the vampire from segment three. And he has been ordered to work at a free clinic for 30 days. That neighborhood houses lots of bums, and Jerry gives one of these wretches a hot dog he dropped on the street. The bum, Cliffy, eats it and is poisoned. He dies, but his ghost haunts Dr. Farwell. Eventually, the haunting causes Farwell to die of fright. And we end with the professor's wedding, his wife bandaged up and barely able to walk. She tosses the bouquet, and her hand flies off too, and he drives away as his neighbors, the Jacobs, are there, and the mother remembers their daughter Alice, causing the rest of the family to believe she's gone crazy as credits roll. Oh, you didn't even mention the opening, which scared me. I mean, we talked about that awful animation and Creep Show 2. Here, they got a drawing, and they're just going to move the camera around. Like, of some fortune teller. It's a static image, people, and they just moved the camera around to different parts of it. 
And it only gets worse from there. One of my friends is actually a professional animator, and he was talking to me about Flash animation. And he said, Flash animation is not bad, but you have to actually invest the time to do it and not just use that tween function to hop all around the place. This is the exact example of why people think Flash animation is evil. Yeah, you want to get into the Flash animation after you get this static picture of a fortune teller where you get some kid in a hoodie chopping up a dog. Look, do you remember those Quiznos commercials with, like, the singing hamsters? We like the sobs! Yeah. I'm not even, like, singing bad. That's actually how they sound. Look up Sponge yes. Monkeys. They're tremendous. There you go, Sponge Monkey. I mean, I messed around with Flash animation after I saw that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you can do some funny stuff. The stuff I did with no knowledge was better looking than the Flash animation. Like, this is awful. Did any of you cry? Because I did. When this, when I saw this... I got very scared. This is probably the most scared I was during <laughs> this movie, and it wasn't because of horror. No, I literally turned it off. I went to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to come back to this when I can prepare. I finished this watching this about 90 minutes ago. Like, I literally couldn't bear the thought of hitting play and watching the rest of it after watching what appears to be a parody of the South Park animation. I mean, yeah, this thing in a hoodie... Oh, yeah, that's supposed to be Kenny? I don't know, but there's a dog that bounds up to it. It kills it, brings it into a garage where we see electricity happening. I don't know what that means, but he ends up being what I guess is this movie's version of the creep. There is going to be a weird man. You know, there's no horror comics in this. Why would we ever want to tie to that? No, it's a man who serves real dogs as hot dogs. Yeah, we'll see that hot dog stand or pictures of it throughout the different segments. I guess that's a wraparound story. Like, it starts off bad and, it, well, look, it it may get better. This may be the worst part of the film. Like, it is awful. It's the worst part. This is my favorite part of the film. I kid you not. <laughs> I actually Jeez. think that the stylized animation with the little kid hoodie. Oh, you're just doing this on purpose. It's not stylized. It's it's incompetent. You're doing this to hurt me, Arnie. I know that you are. You do not mean That's this. like saying a three-year-old scribbling is stylized yeah. because, oh, look Come how on. abstract it is. No, this is not stylized. No. I liked the design of the hoodie. It kind of reminded me of the dude from Trick or Treat. Not the movie we're covering on the donation series, but, you know, the recent horror anthology Sawain. yeah i remember Sawain, and i remember trick-or-treat and this movie sir is no trick-or-treat <laughs> no it's not but i'm just saying the color choices and everything i watched this animation and i'm like well killing the dog isn't exactly an inventive story i wish it had a punchline i wish there was more there yeah, it turned into a hot dog, get, get it? it? It's a hot dog. And meanwhile, he set up his booth right next to a sign where there, someone is posted missing fudge our dog. And so, ha ha, get it? That's the best stinger. It's actually one of the better written episodes. I mean, at least it does have an ending. <laughs> well, yes, but I'm just saying, <laughs> as far as this all goes, it gave me a little bit of hope. I liked this actually better than the animation in Creepshow 2 where the creep was delivering comic books like they were newspapers Ugh. in the 40s. <sighs> 
So it's so weird. Two of us, I mean, Stuart had to turn it off and cry. Yeah. I just had no hope. And you're like, this gives me hope. <laughs> yeah. All right. Diversify <laughs> our opinions of this flash animation. I just need to ignore what you said and wait for you to start insulting this movie, which I imagine is going to come very, very soon. Maybe this next shot when we switch to, why are they doing the comic thing? There is no comic book, but they have these sort of newspaper transitions. It's half tones. Yeah, they go into halftone on the last frame to make it look like a drawing, kind of. But there's no titles. Like, that bugged me. I had to, like, stop and, like, look up. Okay, what's this segment called? Yeah, I had to have Wiki going to get segment names and character names. But, yeah, the halftone thing, the cheapest of all the comic books effects. Creepshow 2 kind of, like, didn't really go there. They just started and ended with comic book panels. Creepshow 1 did it right. That was a moving comic book. Here, they shouldn't even try. No, I could I could open any photo in Photoshop and just make you go half tone in, in literally seconds. Yeah, it's a very quick filter. Again, I ask, would it kill them to have had somebody in a hoodie passing out the comics? Like, why couldn't they at least do that much? Why couldn't they tie it to Creepshow? Maybe they had to pay extra to get rights from EC Comics to do that. Who knows? God. I, it wasn't an EC comic, though. EC never printed something called Creepshow. That was connected to this universe that these people somehow have the rights to exploit and abuse, <laughs> but they're just not going to do anything that we've seen before. They decided they wanted to go another way intentionally. They wanted to be like the others. Creepyville. It's Creepshow because we're in Creepyville on Creepy Lane. Admittedly, that has all of the intelligence of a Sesame Street skit, but I I'm insulting Sesame Street by saying that. Yeah, please. I mean, at least there's an educational value here. Here, you're just going to feel pain. And the reference is Alice in Wonderland. It's not horror comics. They're going to do some... 21st century spin on Alice in Wonderland in which she accesses Wonderland by a magical universal remote control that changes the universe. You know what? I hate Adam Sandler. I've never seen Click. I can guarantee <laughs> that movie is better than this segment. I would rather watch Click yep. than Alice again. Yep. Good call. Yep. Exactly. They came out the same year, too. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of problems here. Yeah, the fact that it's obviously a backlot set and nobody is a rehearsed actor and the directors don't have any of this stage to feel natural. You know what I hated most is that it's a shot of our main character, Alice, walking through a small suburban neighborhood street talking on her cell phone, and I'm like, I bet you all these people we see in the background are people that are going to come back, and I have to pay attention <laughs> enough to figure out who's going to be who as if it will matter later. <laughs> I had to watch this movie twice because I mm. figured for the show... We should know where all the tie-ins are. And God. you're right. In this opening, we see the professor. We see the vampire from segment three. Is that him? He's so out of focus, though. I was like, that could be him or not. He's supposedly some hot guy that's there. Did he just move into the house? I guess we can talk about that later. But okay, that was him. I was not sure, even upon watching this scene twice after I sat through the movie the first time. We see a couple other characters who, like, recur, and I'm not quite sure what they're supposed to be, and I honestly think there were just some, like, last-minute pickup shoots with some of these people. Yeah. Or they were director's friends, if the director still has friends after they'd see this film. 
oh, this is made by friends. I mean, I can tell that this was all. I mean, again, the fact that all of these segments are being written by different people, you get the sense that they raised the money for this by being like, well, you do a part and you get this money. And it, it just feels like a collection of five different people doing five different things, which makes me wonder, are there going to be better segments than others? I actually feel like Alice is probably my least. Mm, yeah, I'm going to commit to least favorite. Yeah, it is my least too. And look, what is there to talk about? Dad buys a No, no, no. He doesn't from... buy anything. This is a gift from the professor. No, no, he says he says he bought a Uniroll he says he bought it. Oh, I thought he was given it by the professor. It's confusing. No, no, he bought it off the street. There's going to be a bum street vendor later right. on, and we'll see that remote. Right. We have a mad scientist that lives in suburbia with Alice's family, and he hawks his wares by giving it or trading it with a homeless man on Skid Row who then gives it to various characters. That's going to play out a couple times in this movie, and it doesn't really matter how he comes by it. The point is that, yep. Yeah, we hit the color correction button and we turn black. We hit the subtitles, we turn Hispanic. It does matter how they come about it because I honestly thought this whole thing was a plot by the professor. Because she's walking down the street being a mega bitch, which I'm like, are they trying to write her that way? Fortunately, they were because I thought she was just abysmal as she's talking on the phone about how much she wants to get out of Creepyville. And the professor tries to wave her down and she just blows him off and calls him creepy. And so I thought this was all a revenge plot by the professor putting his bitchy neighbor in her place. Well, it might be because he made that remote originally and he'll use it later on. Oh, yeah. She so deserves to be melted into a rabbit because she wants <laughs> yeah. to go to the mall to buy shoes. This is so fitting. I was so cheering it on. Give me a break. What's so weird, and this may be sensitive, but when you go from the white family to the black family to the Hispanic, why do they just use the same dialogue? Like, that's, uh, you know, change it. If you're going to go for that, go for it. Like, you know, they're talking about her skinny butt. You know, talk about that ass when, when it goes to a different family. Like, it's just so generic. And I'm, I'm like, what is going on? So you're saying instead of the grandma always saying an ass matters, the white grandma should have said tits matter and the black grandma should have said ass matters? I, I'm just saying, look, we all come from different cultures. Change it up. The fact that they all just say the same thing, there's a lot wanting. Is this an idea that has even been workshopped? Hey, I I want to do a story about a remote control. We're workshopping it right now. Like, I feel like we're talking through how to make it better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it feels like she said, hey, everybody, I want to do it like this. And they just kind of improvised this. I mean, it couldn't have been improvised because they needed to bring in these different actors. But honestly... What's the point of all of this? I guess that as this remote is changing her universe, it's causing her to mutate. And she's going, her body parts are falling off. Is it for comedic effect? Are we supposed to be horrified? I think this whole movie is for comedic effect. I think nothing here is supposed to horrify. It's all supposed to be comedic. Okay. Yeah, at one point, like, just half her body is melting. She does not seem surprised. Like, she goes over to the professor, just walks in, oh, he's getting married, he's marrying that guy, and starts eating his cake. Like, I'm like, you're melting. Do, do you realize your hand is melting? Like, there seems to be no consequence. Yeah. Why doesn't this come back later? I literally thought that we'd see a later segment where the professor comes in, and he's like, who the hell ate my cake? 
This is because Pulp Fiction style, even though this is the first segment in the movie, it's one of the last things to happen chronologically. And let's talk about the stinger at the end. Like, the professor turns her into a rab and's like, oh, I don't, daughter? No, this is, like, is he going to molest? Like, he's got a remote. He could turn her back into a girl. Like, I got the creepiest vibe. My mind just went to bad places. Like, he's just kidnapped this teenage girl. I don't understand anything about the professor here because, I mean, she mutates and he comes out and he's like, well, this is your true form. And I'm like, well, yes, she was an ugly person inside. I guess you made her ugly outside. How does that translate to rabbit? <laughs> I, you know, there was something said about her diet. I don't know. Do rabbits have it fat asses? I, She's got no ass. She's got a skinny ass. I can't tell you what's going on. I know that her name is Alice and there is a white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland and there is a mad hatter and this man will later be laughing and wearing a hat. And if you can tell me what that means, then great. But that's what I saw. Nope. We, we go to Halftone, segment over, as soon as the professor picks up that rabbit. Okay, yeah. It's some kind of oblique homage to Lewis Carroll when it should be about fucking EC Comics. <laughs> and all I could say to give this a positive comment was, it intrigued me. What intrigued you? The concept. One of my favorite amazing stories episodes ever okay yes the remote control one. yeah with lou ferrigno and gary coleman and so the moment they say they have a universal remote control i know it's going to change the real world a la click a la the amazing stories episode and then when things start happening like that when she couldn't be seen when she's mutating i was like what's going on you have me hooked and then when it ends i'm like fuck you no it just ends like I, I was shocked when it was over. Yeah, there was no explanation. This feels like one of those stories where Alice should have learned a lesson and been rescued. Not that she just turns into the melting guy from RoboCop and then a rabbit. That was stupid. And it left me very frustrated because I felt like the concept... Well, I felt like that Amazing Stories episode was very good, and this was not. But the best thing I could say about it is, well, it's short. Maybe they're all going to be this short. I'll say that. I feel like for the running time and for having five segments, it's the best paced. Maybe that's because they just chop <laughs> things off when they hit a certain mark. But <laughs> Yeah, it leaves you wanting more because you didn't get anything. I think that the reason why this may be in the state that it's in is because it was written by one of the co-directors. Whereas maybe if one of their friends had produced this, they might have been like, nah not going to do it but if this person is directing all of the five segments then guess what we're going to get it exactly as they conceived it and anna clavel you wrote the shittiest segment of the <laughs> shittiest anthology i've ever seen she's not aided by the actors because when they finally come out and the professor is there with the rabbit the family they're again white they saw the melting alice the father goes for his gun. Yeah, they drop a line real quick how he's like a detective, which was not set up. I'm like, why does he have a gun all of a sudden? If he's a detective, why is he holding the gun that way? Why is he acting like freaking <laughs> Barney Fife? Because no one knows how to hold a gun in this movie. No one's actually held one. No, they really, 
really don't. I have fired a gun like five times and I have learned more in those sessions than anyone on the set here because that detective should not have allowed three other family members to be hanging on him and tugging him as he's holding a loaded firearm. Oddly enough, this is one of the very few actors here who I've actually seen in a different movie. Like they actually worked again and I saw them. His name is Roy Abramson, and he made this quirky little indie, which sounded like the coolest movie ever until I saw it. And was like, well, that was a missed opportunity called Escape from Tomorrow, where these guys made like a renegade movie shot in Disneyland. And it was so cool that they were going to make this anti-Disney movie actually inside the park. And, you know, it had some creepy moments. There was a a scene or two that kind of worked, but overall... Yeah, it was a disappointment. I remembered hearing about it when it was all the rage, but I never actually watched it. Yeah, and he's the star of it. and uh, He's gotten a little bit better, yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) than he is here. But let's move on, because it is better from up here. Everything is up after Alice. Yes, the next one... Though I'm not entirely sure I understand. Maybe you guys can help me. I'm going to say that for every segment. (laughs) (laughs) I can guarantee you I don't understand, but I do feel like at least this feels like there was a Twilight Zone episode about a radio that broadcast from a different time. Maybe someone here actually paid in attention to an anthology horror sci-fi series and so that makes it exciting look if i say i kind of like something in this or or like it it's i like the concept like the execution's always going to be bad but yeah i kind of do like this one about the security guard who breaks his radio so again he goes to that bum who's just selling stuff on skid row and buys a new radio from him yeah, we'll find out eventually that it's a professor's invention like the Universal Remote. It's a radio that has a sentient, I don't know what, financial analyst who is going to, <laughs> or maybe a dominatrix. I mean, it really seems to get off on giving our main character here, the security guard, Jerry, details about everything. Clean up your apartment. Yeah. Cook dinner. Keep in mind later on, they're going to say the professor was trying to build a wife. He was trying to do robotic spouses and that's kind of what i got off of this is it's like immediately when the radio starts talking and it takes a little while to get there i feel like this is a bit of a slow segment but when the radio finally starts talking as jerry's gonna smash it and it's like clean the kitchen don't you like it better clean make dinner eat a sandwich don't use that much mayo i'm like is it a nagging spouse immediately? Well, that, that's kind of, again, I'm using finger quotes, but the humor of it is that he's listening to this radio. Well, you should listen to a radio. What else do you do to a radio? Well, he's taking orders from the radio. What's weird is that it doesn't start giving orders. It doesn't become sentient until he breaks the antenna and he replaces it with duct tape and a hanger. Or maybe it was and it just wasn't speaking up. I can't I can't <laughs> verify why or how this thing works or even what its intention must be. What is its aim? It wants to get rich and it doesn't care what schmuck gets them rich, that they're just going to manipulate all of these people and have one steal from another and then tell the other to shoot that one. I, I don't get the radio's grand scheme. What's it going to do with the money? How does a radio spend money? Yeah. More importantly, how come he never goes, hey... 
You're a radio. Why are you talking to me? Is there a ham <laughs> operator somewhere? He is very accepting of a radio to the point that I really thought this might be a psychosis and he thinks the radio is talking to him, but it's all in his head. But then the coda of this story means, no, the radio was really talking. Yeah. I do feel like we're here with one of our better actors. I've actually seen A.J. Bowen before. He has appeared in a few Ty West movies. I don't know if you know Ty West, but he's an up-and-coming horror filmmaker that made House of the Devil, The Sacrament, and this guy usually is his star. I've seen this guy's face before, but I couldn't place him. What seems weird, and I noticed this in a few segments where they set something up and there's no payoff. Surprise, surprise with this level of writing. But he's ordered to go get some money. He he climbs up into some building and he's looking for something. He finds a dead squirrel and he gets freaked out. And the radio says, there's going to be giant squirrels coming. Is squirrel, is that a nickname for a hooker? Because I actually thought there was going to be like some monster squirrel coming. (laughs) They couldn't afford a giant squirrel on this. But I think I took that as a euphemism as people trying to steal his nuts. (laughs) Oh, interesting. There is, wait for the brilliant, it's going to drop the mic, blow your mind, but later in the third story, when the hooker Rachel goes to meet Victor on a porch, there is a statue of a squirrel, and it's really big. I noticed that. I'm like, do I have to pay attention for a squirrel in every segment now? But I don't think there is one. Again, this is what makes me so angry. Is like, oh, you're going to pretend that I need to be smarter to pay attention to all your clever referencing when it all adds up to nothing. I mean, honestly, yes, Jerry is, you know, got a flyer for the hot dog cart. and There's a lot of pointing and referencing about the future. The pimp is going to you know, deal with the call girl in the next segment. But what does it all mean? What is the world that they built here in Creepyville that I should pay such attention to its nuances? Yeah, there's lots of Easter eggs, but these eggs are all rotten. They smell like sulfur. Rotten to the core, yes. You know what this reminds me of, though, is we've been talking a lot, as we should, discussing these anthology movies about anthology television. And there was Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt, Twilight Zone. But you guys remember Monsters? (laughs) Yep. That one was like the lowest of rent of all of them, right? Where it had a really cool opening credit sequence and every week I left disappointed. That's the level I'm feeling here with this is that if it can just be diverting, the actors are terrible, but at least they're affable. I don't hate them. And so... You're actually making the the case that the movie succeeds in you not wanting to murder the people you're looking at. Okay. I'll I'll give you this, Arnie. For this segment, at least, for the radio, if this was like a midnight TV show and there's nothing else on, I wouldn't mind sitting through it. But that's the level this is at. Yeah. Here's the thing. With a little bit of tweaking, this could have almost been a par episode if you had established that, I don't know, the security guard wanted to get money or or established his goals. If you had made him a character, I guess we're to presume because he lives in Skid Row, surrounded by such abject poverty and depravity, that he must want to get money and escape. But honestly, he's a blank as a character, and all he does is listen and follow the instructions. The fact that he has no relationship with this radio, but if you had written it that way, and a allowed his character to come through it might have felt like a morality tale that yeah he didn't listen and got shot for it that essentially he gets paranoid as he gets more money and his hooker neighbors suddenly become targets and target him 
I think one neighbor is a pimp with his hooker. We do see Rachel the hooker leaving this building at one point early on in the story. But mm-hmm. the other neighbor he has, I think, is an abused woman. Like, Sherry. Yeah, she's just being beaten up by her boyfriend or husband. She's not a hooker, as far as I can tell. He kills a couple of his neighbors. We get the detective dad from the first segment uh-huh. who wants to drink milk with him. Like, that just feels added on, like, oh, maybe he noticed the residue from the tape. His investigative technique is as good as his gun posture, okay? That guy (laughs) is a doofus. But you know what? I think that's intentional, so I'm going to go with it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll support half that statement. They are doing comedy with a capital C. Yuck, 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 yuck. (laughs) He's a really bad detective, and that should have us rolling. But I don't go with anything in this movie. And the hooker in here, she really seems to like Jerry. I mean, she keeps trying to strike up a conversation with him. And so when he does steal the pimp's money and decides to run away with her, I'm... That seems like a bad idea. I thought she was taking him to a place where he could get more money, even though he already had money. But then she decides she wants to piss in the woods and they're just going to drive up to the tree. I mean, they just left a building with indoor plumbing. I, what <laughs> is going on? It's an abandoned house she's going to take a piss in. It's like not even the woods. It's I don't even know where they are. They've driven away. They're going to buy some property. You're right. There was a shot of a house. That's yeah. true. They, I guess they found an abandoned house that they could film at for free. Yeah, there's absolutely no danger of just going into a strange house and pissing. But <laughs> does she know at this point that he stole the money? I don't know what people know. Maybe. Because she goes off to pee. And leaves him there, and the radio is telling him to kill her, or she'll kill him when she finds out about the money. And sure enough, he decides to smash the radio, but it was all planned, I guess, that the hooker was going to kill him. Don't make me pay attention to this plot. Honestly, I can't tell you. We saw this man earlier steal money. It's later implied that it was the pimp's money, but this was not the house that he stole the money from, so it might be more money that the pimp had stashed elsewhere. This hooker that works for the pimp may or may not know (laughs) that he's guilty of it and trying to get away with the money. I don't know. Yeah, we're, we're told Leon the Pimp pulled an armored car heist. Like, that is super hard. I don't think Leon has it in him to steal half mm. a million from an armored car. But my reading was because Eva hung out with Leon and he, she said he was all tripping because money went missing that she figured it was Jerry. But why would she think it was him? I mean, he's the whole way he's getting away with it is he's unlikely. Because he's getting out of town. At some point, he's walking up the stairs and bumps into Ronald and Sherry, and because he's holding a box, they know it's full of money. I don't know. This is a piss-poor episode, and yet it's telling that it's so much better than the last one. There was literally money hanging out of the sides of the box. Okay. I couldn't tell with this lighting. Whatever its flaws in its storytelling, we should always leave a short story feeling like there's an irony. And was the irony that he should have listened to the radio, that we thought the radio was his crazy thoughts, his paranoia, when in fact the radio seems to be omniscient and it really does know the answers? I think the irony is diversify. The radio keeps saying diversify, diversify. Well, why would you think the radio itself hasn't diversified and have a plan B in case Jerry decides to not listen? 
I don't know why the radio wants him to listen. So would the radio have told Leon to go somewhere else if Jerry would have listened? I think so. Yeah. And, and Jerry bought the first radio. We'll later find out from the street vendor that he had a couple and Jerry sold the first one. So I don't know when the pimp got this and how much he knows about what happened. But again, this is not a movie to delve deeply. And talk about diversify. We're going to go into another story about a hooker. Call girl. <laughs> Probably the best one. I'm going to say if I had to pick one. Ooh, you're going to say this is the best? I think, I mean, please don't judge me, but yeah, I guess. Um, it's like, who lost least, you know? I'm trying to think. <laughs> yes, it is. This is like a real Sophie's Choice, but the <laughs> yeah, opposite. It is. Yeah, well, yeah, because you want both the kids to live. Here, I'm like, take them all into the oven. You got to choose one to live, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think what I like about this one, and like is in air quotes, <laughs> is the fact that it at least gets back to the formula that we saw in Creepshow episodes, like something to tie you over, where a really bad person kills, thinks they're going to get away with it, but in fact, the person they kill is going to get them back. Yeah, it definitely had that kind of a feel to it. And is it wrong that I wish that like uh, people were more attractive, like, Victor is going nuts for Rachel, but I'm like, really? That's kind of a... Look, I had no doubts that Rachel was a, a knife murderer. Could you see those arms? Like, I thought <laughs> she might be an MMA fighter or something. She was buff. Yeah, I was thinking in Glow. Yeah, the yes. glorious, whatever, ladies of wrestling. I mean, she definitely is imposing. The story's pretty thin. She has to go around killing people. She not only kills men, she also kills... A random homeless person. Did this person pop up before or after? She was hanging out with the bum who sold Jerry the radio. Okay. All right. So, yeah. I don't think she was preaching Jesus, though, like she was to Rachel. No, there's no continuity with how people act. And, in fact, <laughs> there's some broken continuity in even who people are. But, yes. Yeah. They, they're still all in Creepyville. Yeah, and she also runs in. She ends up being in the neighborhood that Alice is from, and she runs into two guys we're going to see in the next segment, the students, Charles and John. So they have a lot of, like, connector to this story, connector to that story, because we know that it can't stand on its own. We must have the interlacing in order to feel like this justifies itself, because we know it's flimsy as a standalone story. Yeah, I mean, did you hear how fast Arnie did the summary of this one? I mean, <laughs> Rachel gets a call to go to Victor. You know, you know something's up because there's no pictures of him with the family. He says he's oh, yeah. the black sheep. I'm like, okay, let, let's get on with this. I did get hope. When we see the dead family, I'm like, wow, this could actually be good. Serial killer against serial killer. I'm looking forward to the fight. Yeah, until he says, chain me up and blindfold me. And I'm like, does he want to be killed for his sins? Like, what's going on here? Well, he can be because he's immortal. I guess he's a vampire. I don't know what he is. He goes out in the sun, though. He could be a twilight vampire, maybe. He's a monster that can't be killed by being stabbed. The point is, he has the edge of whatever she's... I don't know what he knows about her he he called her because he found a random card on the ground so it's not like he knows not in this segment though that's coming later yeah but that's earlier the later segment is something that happens early right not right to get too confusing but we'll find out eventually that it is just happenstance that he picked up this girl he is picking up you know vagrants and people to feast on we will find out later but yeah, I think, you know, even before you see the dead family, he's up to no good. 
I wasn't sure about that. My read on all this is, though, that he had no clue she was a murderer. He really wanted to get laid. They call him a vampire in the bonus features, but yeah, he walks out in the daylight, so something's up with that. It doesn't matter. I mean, honestly... Well, look, if their reference for Creepshow is Creepshow 2, then their reference for vampires is Twilight. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah, but I'm with Arnie as far as tension goes... It at least lets you feel something that, yeah, here are two equally psychotic people. What's it going to be like when they get into bed? The fact that, you know, yeah, she stabs him. He appears to die. And then when she gets out of the shower, she's, he's hearing his voice. That was really anticlimactic, no pun intended, when she just killed him in bed. I wanted a fight. I didn't think he was a monster. He was handcuffed. I know. I wanted to see how he got out of them. Or maybe he was a super assassin who would be able to fight her off with his legs. I didn't know. I was I was hoping for better. No, no. I think it's structured correctly. I mean, we know he's a killer. He's allowing himself. I mean, he makes the point of saying, blindfold me first. You know that he's submitting to her. He has no fear of her. He doesn't know what she'll do. I agree. He doesn't know she's going to kill him. But he doesn't worry when she does because he can't die. And the fight should come after she gets out of the shower. But instead, we just... I guess we get one of the better makeup effects. It's a makeup effect. <laughs> yeah, a, a makeup effect. <laughs> yeah, he gets some fangs. They blew the budget on that thing. I mean, that's <laughs> that's far better than Alice. Oh, come on. Let's wait let's wait till that melted face at the end. Come on. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, anyway, he bites her on the neck and then is he living there now? Because we do he is the guy standing on the lawn in the Alice segment, which is chronologically speaking, coming the next day, when he leaves this house to go golfing, he's going to come back and just take up residence here. Well, it seems like, he, again, and when we get to that last segment, he has an apartment, I think in that same apartment building as Jerry, where they just party all the time. I thought that was a rent party he was a bouncer to. I did not think that that was his apartment. But I thought he was like the gang lord, like he was hosting these parties. Because yeah. later on the doctor shows up and he's like, well, I need fresh faces. So I thought he was the mastermind behind it all. But yeah, he has taken up residence in this house for a period of time. Who knows why? Maybe I... I'm not even going to make shit up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It, it, you, we, can, we can only take a guess because there aren't character development. The tenuous connection between the stories, they're just so proud that they were able to connect it. It's like they threw five different jigsaw puzzles up in the air and we're so glad two pieces fit together. It doesn't matter they were from two different sets. And that's what I feel. Like, yeah, the stinger here is that the mailman that we've seen before and a neighbor that I don't know if we've seen him before are basically just going to accept the fact that a total stranger is living in Fat Joe's house now and he's a vampire. So, okay. Question, Fat Joe. Earlier in this segment... We see some guy talking to a hooker saying he's going to put her in films and he's chased off by the pimp. We're going to see this guy later, but is he anybody? If he's Fat Joe, he's one of the dead people strung up in the family living room. Yeah, I'm I'm confused. Why are you worrying about it? This movie does not demand you to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A nuclear bomb has been dropped. Don't st stop to like pick the furniture up. It's all melted. It's all bad. Just run. <laughs> run! All right, well, we'll run to the fourth segment because that one, yeah, he kills her and we move on. It was kind of fun, kind of sexy. 
But we go to what is surely the most absurd segment of the whole thing, The Professor's Wife, where we start and find out Alice's grandmother is the dean at the local university. So Alice's grandmother is the professor's boss. When you learn that, boy, the movie just opens up, right? New readings. I'm like, wow, mind blown. A professor who has been locked in a a laboratory for 20 years working on, I'm, I'm sorry, this is not how the university works. You got to produce papers. How's this guy yeah, got tenure? tenure? Come on. Yeah. Not telling anyone what he's been working on for 20 years. Yeah, if he's tenured, he could do whatever he wants for as long as he wants. But he's been doing this 20 years. I mean, oof. He had to get tenured early on. He's old. I don't even know why they bring that up. Because what she really wants to know is, why did you give me a wedding invitation? If you've been holed up in a laboratory this whole time, how did you meet a girl? And that's going to be the tease. Well, that's supposed to give credence to the theory his bride might be a robot later on. Exactly. They're going to tease the idea that he's got this top secret project and he's got this new girlfriend and how did he get it? There's obviously some kind of connection. And that's what we're going to see with these two. I think they're alumni. I don't think that they... This is their old mentor, but they've graduated four years before. Yeah. And they're just going to see their old guy. Charles and John, who we saw standing outside, they said hi to Rachel. And she said, I'm going to come see you guys next. Right. But uh, she won't get that opportunity. They're going to go inside to meet the wife, I guess, a couple days or weeks before the wedding. It's difficult to know. But Alice is already a bunny. Yeah. Don't know how that happened. Yeah, that seems out of continuity. Or there's another bunny there. Was his bunny always named Alice? Maybe he lost that bunny, and that's why he turned Alice into one. Keep in mind, yeah, when Alice is invisible, the professor is looking in a bush for Alice. So, I don't (laughs) know. It's all coming together as we talk through it. Mm, It really is. And so, we meet Kathy, who is a giggly... Russian bombshell who has amnesia. We could leave bombshell out of there, but she's giggling. (laughs) I don't want to be mean, but... It's like a young version of Charo. I just expected coochie coochie. (laughs) (laughs) Who's not Russian, but, you know, it's not that these people are ugly, but I do feel like because you don't have professional makeup people and costumers and all of that, you know, they're under the glaring light. No, I, I thought she had acne that was showing and I was just shocked. I'm like, they couldn't cover that up? Yeah, I feel like so many people, again, the, the seams of the unprofessional quality is that we're just seeing more of the actors and we're not seeing characters. It leaves everyone in trouble. Not that I feel like she's giving a great performance as well, but the tease is, is she a robot or is she this mystery girlfriend that's half the age of the professor and how did he get her? I guess this is an homage to the Pulp Fiction segments, that third segment where they have to clean up the guys whose brain matter splattered. And Oh, you're reaching. I think this <laughs> is just supposed to be slapstick humor. I, look, d- please, this is not Tarantino level. I'm saying those guys watch Pulp Fiction smoking a lot of dope 500 times <laughs> and said, oh, let's write a segment and this is all they could come up with. It's a bad pot-headed remake of that segment. I do kind of feel like this kind of taps into that creep show vibe, like where, you know, you have like that 
even though I hated the lonesome death of Jordy, it kind of feels like, you know, it's not so scary, but it's just more ironic or absurd that these yeah. Charles and John, they're, you know, they think about all the practical jokes this professor has pulled and he had made a robotic snake at one point. So, hey, maybe she's a robot. Let's go look for her off switch. I'm like, ooh, this is, this could go in a very dark place. Like, <laughs> I'm not even thinking of chopping her off, just like pulling her clothes up looking for an off switch. Yeah, I, yeah. it goes there, but the professor is perhaps, I don't know if he's the best or worst actor in this thing. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's a definite brown arrow for me. I'll, I'll put it that way. He's so over the top. It's like he walked right out of a 60s sitcom when they're showing him playing these jokes where, I guess, haha, I wrecked your car by taking it by remote control and stuff like that. I'm like, the biggest problem with this segment is it goes on too long. And it felt like the professor was doing a lot of it without anyone else on the set. And so I'm like, this is painful to just watch this guy mug and overact. He really did watch the first creep show and say, I want to bring that Stephen King performance to this one. (laughs) And yet it works for me better here just because, again, it does go to such a darkly humorous place where they end up chopping up the wife, looking for all her circuits. And again, this isn't great humor, but they're like, oh, look how lifelike this brain is. Look how he's done these circuits and and all this. I mean, again, this is not award-winning stuff, but for that midnight TV show vibe, I was going with it. Forget the plausibility of, of if it was even in question, why you would start to probe artificial intelligence not with a Voight-Kampf test, but like literally by hacking off of its limbs <laughs> and, and laughing as you're doing it. I mean, I just, where they get their confidence that they just know for sure that this is just lifelike circuitry, whatever. But I, I will, the only compliment I can give this is it is the second best segment in this movie. It, <laughs> it competes with Call Girl for being the highlight. I don't know. I'm in the current ranking Call Girl is number one, the radio, then the professor's wife, then Alice. Mm, yeah, I'll, I'll I say thus far, this is the top one for me. Okay, yeah. But I did like the gore when they're chopping her up. I mean, it looks very rubbery, but the kind of Grand Gunal gallows humor here as they're pulling out her brain and everything, it's fun in a... God, Not nearly as smart, but kind of in the RoboCop way when there's like lose the arm, that kind of stuff. Here's the one thing that they really needed to fix. Okay, I get that you're going to do a one joke segment where they laugh hacking up a woman and realize, oops, we killed our mentor's wife. But how are they explaining that she didn't remember details of meeting him? That she has amnesia? Transient amnesia. She just randomly forgets things. Okay, that's, you know... Try harder. Try a little, please. <laughs> she really was acting like Small Wonder, so I thought she was an android, too. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was the reference point. If so, this is the best Small Wonder episode <laughs> I've ever seen. And the bloodiest. Hi! But finally, we get to the... Haunted Dog. Is this the longest segment? It feels like it. It is the longest, and it is the most padded. Here's the thing. You pat something when you don't have enough. Creepshow 3 is an hour and 45 minutes long. You could lose 15 minutes. It is the second longest Creepshow movie in existence. They can definitely cut down all of this wacky Dr. Farwell's hates people misanthropy that they're going to just extend this 
segment well beyond its fresh data. Stewart, that's the only stuff I liked here. Now, I wish it was a real comedian who was actually funny. But come on, uh, watching a, a ghost bum trying to feed you a hot dog, like that's the stuff you want to see? <laughs> I didn't say I wanted to see it, but come on. How many times, how many extended montages do we have establishing this guy's an asshole? Take the best jokes. Come on, none of them are great, but there are like three or four mildly would work in a real movie jokes. That's all we need to see and then get into whatever you're going to get into. I'll agree. This really felt drawn out, especially for... What's nothing more than a thanks for the ride lady creep show to rip off, as Stuart already called out. Yeah, definitely. The weird thing about this, while there's a bum choking on a hot dog and this doctor who, this is like a Mighty duck situation. I, I don't know. He, he got in some kind of legal trouble and was forced to go <laughs> work at the free clinic. <laughs> Mighty Ducks, kudos for that reference. Yeah. Never saw any of them. Is that a retrospective? Court order to go coach the hockey team. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten all about that till Jacob said it, but yeah. <laughs> we'll wait for the reboot. But amongst all that stuff, we do see the professor go meet that bum who's selling all this stuff. He buys a voodoo doll. Again, I talk about things that just get dropped from this. I'm like, oh, they're going to do the end of Creep Show 1, but he's going to voodoo John and Charles for hacking up his wife. That voodoo doll, he gets he's like the super deluxe voodoo doll, never comes up again. Strangely, I think the voodoo doll is how he resurrects his wife. I don't know how a voodoo doll does that, okay, but the yeah. voodoo doll's in the car. Is it? Yeah. Okay, uh, I missed that. That doesn't make any sense, though. You use voodoo dolls to hurt people. No, it does not make any sense. And again, the strain that they're having and the self-congratulatory atmosphere of, isn't it great that we're bringing all these elements together, that we also end up going to this house party where this guy frequents hookers, who are being hosted by vampires. And we get a throwback to From Dust Till Dawn, where all of a sudden they just fang out at a party, but they don't eat the doctor. I'm trying to figure out, even though this is all Creepyville, and this is all one movie, and this is all the same group of actors, I'm trying to figure out if they're even really the same characters. I know he does show his vampire face, but his being a vampire never really plays in. And in this... Alice's Hispanic mother is the nurse at the clinic. She's a real person now? Yeah. I didn't even pick that up. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was the case. But again, don't make me rewind on this. It's bad enough that I have to sit, hit play. So the writers just thought they were geniuses. That, that's what we're saying here. They're like pats on the back for everyone in this film because this segment is going to pull it all together. They have no confidence in the short stories they're telling, so the cleverness has to be identified as, but look at the way that we hammer them into one unified thing, as if this were, yes, exactly, uh, a mosaic to be proud of. It got me to watch twice, even though I hate myself for it. <laughs> That's yeah. only because you're doing it for now playing, though. Come on, you would not have watched it twice. No, never, never. It's only because I felt like we need to be able to point out those linkages. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> Alice's Spanish mother. So no one else ever has to watch this twice. We're doing the work for you, people. We're watching it so you don't have to. I just want that time back. It was rough, guys. Really rough. <laughs> Can we even talk about what happened here? Yeah, that's what I really want to know is why did the bum die? Right, exactly. It, there's two ways of looking at it, and neither has any more 
payoff than the other. But a doctor who does nothing but horrible things buys a hot dog from the vendor that we know is making them out of real dogs. Ha ha ha. Drops it on the ground and in an act of charity for him anyway, gives it to a bum with dirt on it. Is it because the dirt on it is poison? Is it because the dead dog is poison? <laughs> is it because the guy chokes on it and he doesn't know how to chew? I can't tell you. I thought it was because he choked on it. And they're asking for a doctor during this. They haven't even established this guy as a doctor yet. So you don't even get the joke when he just keeps walking. What they say is he died from a bad dog. So I'm like, if the doctor had eaten that dog, would he have died? He seems very nonchalant. He buys another one and eats it and it's just fine. So I... And again, how much can you stretch a lap dog? This was one tiny little dog that he somehow turned into, <laughs> I don't know, what, 30, 40 francs? Well, I'm guessing he killed other dogs too. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't just fudgy? Mm. I don't want the extended cut with that flash animation showing him catch more dogs. Thank you for sparing me that. Still the best part of this movie. No, it's not. <laughs> it is the worst. It is the worst. <laughs> but... Yeah, I would think if somebody died and they said bad dog, all right, I, I now just saying it out loud, get that it's a pun, bad dog. Uh -huh. But I would think everybody at that hot dog stand would be throwing their wieners down in disgust and saying, I will not eat that. But no, everybody's still just munching away. Yeah. Again, this was the one written by the intern. <laughs> Credit to him that it's better than the one the director wrote. <laughs> yes. I will say, though, much like the police detective from Alice and the radio, this doctor's performance in a better movie, he could have something. He's got screen presence, his delivery, his energy. I find him legitimately funny. It does go on too long, like you said, Stuart, but he's making me laugh. No, I said, like, maybe a better comedian. Maybe this guy, you know, did the stand-up circuit for another five or ten years. He could do this. I think he could do it with better direction and better material. I think he has the facial expressions. I think he has great comic timing. And I think that you're more impressed with something that wouldn't be that great, but because we're in a world of shit, you're like, <laughs> well, I can, I can hold this up. There must be a pony somewhere, Stuart. There must be yeah. a pony somewhere. Yeah, I mean, the guy is okay given what he has to do and given how bad this segment is. So did... Dr. Farwell, did he choke on a ghost dog or just die from the ghost? I thought he was ODing. He was popping a lot of pills throughout this segment, and I just assumed this was an anti-drug message, that it just caught up with him. But I don't know. I mean, please. Oh, that's just dumb. If you like it better that he choked on a dog, <laughs> okay. I took it as heart attack? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it, it was called the haunted dog. I, I figured that ghost hot dog had to do something. Yeah, well... I figured a lot of things had to do something. I thought this had to do with horror comics, and that was the first of many ugly surprises. This doesn't even have a wraparound story. Like, we come back to the professor and his wedding, which we opened up with a fortune teller. Then we went to bad flash animation, catching dogs and grinding them up. And now we're back to the professor at his wedding with the bride who's wrapped up like a mummy. And I guess we have established to use that voodoo doll to bring her back to life. That's what I got out of it. I mean, he was panicked getting that voodoo doll, and it's in the car. As is Alice the Rabbit. So the pins in the voodoo doll are holding her ripped up limbs together now. It's actually sutures, that if you suture the doll instead of causing pain to the person, it actually keeps them whole. 
Although the joke, and it's one of the better physical comedy bits here, is when she throws the bouquet, it takes her hand with her. And we see Alice's mom, who thinks she has a daughter named Alice. None of the other family members remember her. Mm-hmm. No, no one else wants to remember that segment, but she's like, <laughs> no, that's my only scene. And then we go back to the hot dog vendor. Can anyone explain this ending to me? We cut to the hot dog vendor, and is this the worst CGI we've ever seen in any film we reviewed? No, it is right on par with Day of the Dead 2 Contagium. But we didn't review that for this podcast. Like, oh, his face melts, and he goes into the crystal ball, and, like, Madam whatever is like, it's all about the future now. Huh? <laughs> what? Is this going to happen in the future? What does that mean? I literally don't know what I saw at that point. First of all, why do they have a fortune teller? They never have an actress playing it. They, we, have, we see signs that there is a fortune teller somewhere. Cut all of that. That didn't, maybe that was supposed to happen and they just didn't get there. I'm not even sure why we had to have the beginning animated since it doesn't go back to animation. No. That would be logical to me that they had some kind of animated stinger to bring some kind of closure to this. But is the professor our creep? Is the hot dog vendor our creep? Is the fortune teller our creep? (laughs) Or did anyone even bother to try and figure out who was doing hosting duties? According to Wikipedia... That is telling us the hot dog vendor is the creep. I didn't even know there was a creep. I guess if you take it as the animation at the beginning starred the creep and that it made hot dogs, this is telling us that hot dog vendor is serving real dogs all along. I don't know. Uh, Why don't you have the hot dog vendor like telling his customer stories in between each segment or something? I mean, come on. Like they're basic elements you need for a creep show movie. And that's one of them. Correct. But again, did they even make Creepshow? <laughs> they saw Creepshow 2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They distantly remembered things about Creepshow 2 and tried to sort of emulate them with their own love for obviously Tarantino-esque, pulp fiction-y worlds of crime and dismemberment. So let's make this interesting. <laughs> Jacob Stewart, which is the least shitty of the segments in Creepshow 3? Jacob Rankum. Yeah, I, I feel like that's the best way to go because this is not a recommend. I, again, the, the one kind of nice thing I could say is for five stories, it flows. It, even though the stories are uneven, some feel very short, some go a little bit too long. But it, it wasn't that two-hour mark, which, thank goodness, it, it should have been about 15 minutes shorter. But for me, again, I'm going to go with the professor's wife and I'm going to include the ending wedding as part of that segment. It just... I, I like the dark comedy there. The, again, it, it it's a brown arrow. Like, I think that's the best it's going to get. That's like a brown arrow for me. Like, it, the acting is so bad, but I kind of chuckled when I watched them dismembering the wife. And then I'm going to go with the radio. I feel like that's the most professionally done segment of this. Like, th- that actor, like, he, yeah, I guess he could act. Stuart said he's in horror movies. He, he showed me he could maybe do something. Call girls in the middle for me. It's just there's just no meat to that one. Uh, no pun intended. Despite people getting chewed up and chopped up there, there's just not a whole lot going on. And then I'll go with the haunted dog. I kind of like the humor, but it goes on way too long, and there's so much fluff in there. And then Alice. Let's just not talk about Alice. Forget that one. Stuart. You know what? They're all rat turds in your big Kahuna burger, but <laughs> the the least chokeable one is Call Girl. The ones in the middle tend to be a little bit better. I think Call Girl, 
I mean, ranking them is real hard here. Call Girl, Professor's Wife, or The Radio, maybe in that order. They're kind of all, like, bad. They're just bad. But with some shaping, they could have been okay. And then you got the things on the end that are just... Yeah, you'll choke on these rat turds the way that this bum choked on the hot dog. I mean, I guess Haunted Dog, Alice, and then the animated stinger are the way the rest of it is. But that stuff just takes it to a new level of putrid. Oh, that animated thing is so... Yeah, I didn't even think of that. That is... Turn yeah. it off there. Don't even don't even get past the animation. Turn it off then. That's how bad it is. The only thing that this pioneered, I can honestly say, the only thing that I feel like this thing did was it beat S. Darko <laughs> and Cell 2 into ruining a, f- a good franchise earlier than they did. Yeah, I've never heard anything good about that. Never seen it. It started a trend of having unqualified, unconnected people with no money being able to legitimately make sequels to movies that just completely melt your face the way that this hot dog vendor does here at the end. It is just pathetic. And uh, I, if you want to see this done well, go watch Trick O' Treat. This is all terrible. Yeah, S. Darko. There's a movie that I just dread someday now playing will turn its sights on Donnie Darko and I will <laughs> have to watch that film that I have legitimately boycotted. Like, just, I refuse to watch it. Oh, you've never seen it? Refuse. Oh, Mm, okay. I, I just wonder what's worse, that or that sequel they made for Crouching Tiger. Oh, God. <laughs> oh that's another one. Oh, I, yeah. I can't. Even, I couldn't even get through that one. Why do these people get away with it? I just again, some kind of quality control, isn't it? There has to be a law. I mean, really, <laughs> I, I feel like we need to pass a law about like you need to have a certain amount of dollars in the bank in order to make a sequel. The law is called intellectual property law, and the problem is these companies go bankrupt, and then the law is the Wild West. (laughs) I can't believe that they got this legally. I just can't. So, yeah, this movie's an utter piece of shit that I regret wasting my time on. I regret wasting your time on. Mm. But ranking the segments... Man, I'm torn, because I liked The Doctor and The Doctor One Haunted Dog... But that segment just went on too long. If you chopped 10 minutes out of Haunted Dog, it would be my number one. But I think I will go with Call Girl, then Haunted Dog. Well, you're actually going with animated sequence above it all. Yes, the animated is above it all. I I just want people to understand that. It was short. It was painless. It was kind of cute. No, it was so (laughs) painful, especially for how short it was. But yes, animated sequence... Call Girl, Haunted Dog, I guess the radio, then the overacting professor, and then Don't Ask Alice. She's just too small. Yeah, yeah. We all agree that that is a bad way to begin, and yeah, set a bad tone. It really could have recovered. I didn't think Alice was so bad that it couldn't recover. At the end of the radio, when I'm like, once again, you have a great premise, or at least an interesting premise, a good for an episode of Monsters premise that you just don't end well, I'm like, I'm going to be exceptionally pissed if every segment's an interesting premise with bad payoff. And then they just stopped having interesting premises. I don't think that Creepshow ever was about telling the most innovative, interesting stories that would blow your mind. It was about telling stories we've all heard around the campfire, but doing it with a verve and a glee that was infectious and that made you feel young and enthused about it. And this movie has none of that. This was made by 
people that don't seem to know EC Comics don't have much love or skill for what was originally done by Romero and King and are just not worthy. I take it as a point of pride that most of them, when you look at IMDb, never worked again. They never worked before either. I mean, this is not a job. Yeah. Stewart's really got the voodoo doll out, like, cursing this cast. I do. I mean, I like Creepshow. It had been one thing to do it to something that, yeah, Children of the Corn 10, whatever. But come on, you don't deserve to get this. And whoever sold them is is the worst villain. I mean, that's whoever sold them this property, uh, shame on you. I just, shame on you. Well, they did try to recover this. Yeah. Oh, no. A couple of years after this, it wasn't a movie, so we don't have to do it, but in 2009, Taurus Entertainment licensed out the Creepshow property to a company called HD Films, which I haven't heard of any more than I've heard of Taurus Entertainment, but they were going to do a 10-part web series called Creepshow Raw. Yeah, and it would feel completely like a fan film if it didn't involve people you've seen in real movies before. Oh, it had real people in it? Michael Madsen. I don't know how much he counts these days. Yeah, the mom from the Goldbergs. And then behind the camera, we have... uh, Fez. Yeah, Wilmer Valderrama, two years after 70's 70's show show was canceled, is now a director. Okay, so this wasn't going to be good, right? (laughs) Have you seen this single episode? It is. It was only about 10 minutes long, and it was better than any segment in Creepshow 3. It really was a recovery. Low bar, but okay. Yeah. I mean, it was fine. Next week, we're talking about Tales from the Dark Side. I would say Creepshow Raw, the only episode ever produced, was as good as the frame story from next week. And what I would say is they at least had some affection for what King and Romero had done. They they do shots. Like there are stills where Michael Madsen turns to the camera and we see the comic book background light up like a halo behind him. You know, the kind of stuff when like Ted Danson was, you know, under the water and the lights came up. Like that expressionistic comic book lighting was used. They would fade to comic book. They really did want to get back to where they were in 1982 when the first movie came out. But it doesn't feel like a real episode. It feels like something you cobble together and then say, all right, give us money and we'll remake it professionally. Yeah, I couldn't find out anything as to why only one episode happened, but... I can I know why they didn't make any more. I mean, it's no mystery. No, it is. I mean... Is it better than Creepshow 2? No. No. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's on par-ish. I mean, yes, if you don't mind wasting eight minutes of your life, if you get tired of watching the cat play the piano and chocolate rain, then yeah, this is, quote, <laughs> par. But I do not think that this is worthy of the Creepshow name. No, I do not. Well, with that, we close the book on Creepshow. And part of me hopes we return to discuss a Creepshow 4 someday that means we don't end on such a sour note. And part of me hopes that this just stays buried like the old man from the very first Creepshow story. He doesn't come back up wanting his cake and become a shadow of what he was. He just stays in the ground, and we can try to forget the horribleness of this third one. But, you know, I don't know why Romero can't buy it back. I mean, honestly, 
Uh, Creepshow 3 came out at a time when he was returning to his Living Dead saga. He had just made Land of the Dead and yeah, would go on and make those other ones. So, I mean, why not give it back to him? Just sell it to him and let him do it. If you're going to do you're it... You're assuming just, he wants that. I don't know why he wouldn't. I mean, he wanted to. The reason why we even got Tales from the Dark Side, the TV series, is because they wouldn't let him make Creepshow, the TV series. But we'll talk about that next week. And don't forget, our donation drive is going on now. This Friday, we're going to have another story about a hitchhiker. Creepshow 2 had the hitchhiker. This Friday, we're going to have The Hitcher. Came out a year before. Creepshow 2, of course, was an 87 horror movie. We are now covering all the rest of horror of 86. We've gone to gold level beyond those early Fly movies. And yeah, this is maybe one of the more culty popular ones that we're covering here. I know a lot of people that love The Hitcher. Never seen it. I only know C. Thomas Howell from Soul Man. (laughs) And (laughs) E.T. And The Outsiders. I mean, come on. So you can find out all the details about that by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, thanks for the ride, lady. Thanks for the ride. Still here, kiddies? Well, it's time for this uh, boogeyman to boogie. I'll be slaying you, boys and boogies. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. Why don't you ask us to leave? Prune face. Yeah, why don't you run us out of town, Chef? Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original short stories and novels. I said, hold my breath for a long time. <laughs> and come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear our reviews of other Stephen King movies, such as Carrie, The Shining, Children of the Corn, Cujo, and dozens more in our archive section. Here's my cake. I want it. It's mine. Also on our site, hear reviews of other films such as Maniac, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Riddick, Friday the 13th, The Avengers films, Star Trek, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. If there's any movies that you want to see, don't wait. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. I've never seen anyone so impatient, Billy, as if your life depended on getting the first copy off the press. <laughs> While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Hey, you looking for some companionship? Next week. Unless I get a better bank job. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website 
nowplayingpodcast.com. I wonder how much they'd pay for it up to college. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Good idea. Maybe I should. Now Playing's Creep Show series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Why don't you go back to your computer, you geek? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Quiet down, would you? Talk too much. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Heads are going to roll. I promise you that. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. I can't get worried about it, man. I mean, uh, no matter how hard I try, I just can't get worried about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Till the next issue, try to stay scared. <laughs> Magia Villa. Maggi Avia. Maggi Avila. It don't matter. It please. <laughs> I I dare Maggi to come out and correct you. <laughs> she really was acting like small wonder, so I thought she was an android too. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was the reference point. If so, this is the best small wonder episode <laughs> I've ever seen. And the bloodiest. Hi! <laughs> Oh, oh, small wonder. I haven't thought about that in a long time. I don't know how. We keep bringing it up. Yeah, it was a cut line from Short Circuit. I wasn't on that show, so... I'm pretty sure when we get to Deadly Friend, we'll be talking a lot about Vicky. Mm.